When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My guest today is a decorated U.S. Army combat veteran who grew up in Florida, who served his country first in uniform, worked at the State Department and other government agencies in Afghanistan and Iraq. He's a businessman, a husband, father, patriot, veteran, policy expert, and someone that deeply cares about Americans and America. Florida Congressman Corey Mills has been in the news recently helping stranded Americans get out of Israel by coordinating flights and securing aircraft to bring hundreds of our own home. I met Corey in the green room a few weeks ago and thanked him for his service. Hearing how much he wanted to help during this terrifying war and using all of the skills and contacts he's acquired over his years of service to this country made me want to have a conversation with him, especially, of course, as we approach Veterans Day, honoring our brave military veterans of the United States Armed Forces. It was an important discussion I think will inform you and give you a better understanding of the events unfolding right now in Israel and how these moments are impacting us here at home. Please welcome Congressman Corey Mills on the Janice Dean podcast. Congressman Mills, uh, I like to award people the Dean's List every week for doing something good uh, for their community, for the neighborhood, and in your case, the country and the world. Uh, Thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I saw your tweet from a couple of days ago that says, I would rather die knowing I was attempting to make a difference than to live knowing I did nothing. Our country and the American people are worth fighting for. What made you write that? You know, most of my, actually all of my adult life, I dedicated to service. And I think that there's certain people in the world which, I think most of society may look at us a little bit differently, but we're wired in a way whereby the service to country, the service to other people is what we feel our entire purpose is. And and, and not everyone is born with that kind of uh, servant leadership type of of mentality or heart. You know, I I started my career uh, in the military, but that was after coming through what was a pretty uh, tense and, and what's now a, a, a understandably normal relationship in my family, which was where, um, you know, my mom and dad had both divorced and uh, had drug and substance abuse issues throughout their entire life. And my dad spent almost 30 years in prison. My mom spent uh, seven and a half years in prison. And I, I bounced house to house since I was about nine years old. And uh, sleeping on couches and staying with cousins until my grandparents finally adopted me and, you know, brought me up in that nuclear family, which is about work ethic and very traditional values. But it was interesting. I had felt this like I just felt compelled to try and help others, to always understand, to demonstrate that empathy that was necessary. And um, I went in the military, served in the military, uh, was in the 82nd Airborne Division, served for the Joint Special Operations Command, uh, CJT of 20 in Iraq. 
um, went off and worked with the government uh, further after my uh, military career. And, you know, in total, I spent about seven years in Iraq and three years in Afghanistan and Kosovo and Pakistan and North Somalia and all these different areas. Uh, was blown up twice in 2006 uh, with roadside IEDs. And then I went on to, to build a company that was focused on the same thing, which is service. You know, you get to a stage where you say, all right, well, I can't be on the field anymore, but I want to at least be on the sidelines and know that I'm contributing to the warriors that are still out there. So built a company that was specifically tailored towards servicing our law enforcement officers, our brave men and women who wear that uniform every day, who is being vilified right now, but are the reason that our communities are the way they are, because they would be a lot worse without them. And, and also our military. And it's the same thing with why I ran for Congress. You know, I've got a young eight-year-old boy that uh, I'm thinking about his future. I'm thinking about the future of everyone's children. I'm thinking about the safety and security of all those. And so, you know, we all have to eventually meet our maker. And C.S. Lewis, he used to talk about your talents. You know, when I go and I, I, I finally, you know, meet my maker, I want to go confidently knowing that I had given everything I could with the capacity, capabilities, and the things that he's blessed me with, and that I did as much good as I could. And I didn't just sit back and say, well, I wish I could have, or I wish I would have, or, you know, wait for others to step up. It, it really is, for me, the old saying of, you know, I'd rather die on my feet than live on my knees. And and so my tweet was simply just explaining that, you know, to my to my last breath, until my final beat of my heart, I'm always going to be here to try and help support those in need and fight for this country and fight for the people who live here because I truly believe in American values and I believe in our nation and love it so much. And, you know, that's just at the core of me. Mm. And we have Veterans Day coming up. What does that day mean to you? You know, it's such a special and important day. I, I, I tell people that I wish that our government truly understood, you know, what the community needs as opposed to trying to tell us what we need. You know, prior to 2022, there was only about 17% of all of Congress that was actually military veterans. And so it was interesting as I watch now where the governments and state and local officials will prioritize illegals in our country over our own veteran population who swore an oath and was willing to die to defend our Constitution. You know, it's just it's it's such a, a, a powerful day that I wish that everyone would really recognize. It's not just for uh, trying to barbecue like they do at Memorial Day, which is a day to honor our fallen who had paid the last full measure, which is truly uh, the most powerful day, I think, in all of the year. Uh, but our veterans need to be uh, respected. They need to be felt appreciated for their service, for their dedication. And we got to get our military back to what it used to be, where it served our nation, not served anyone's political agenda, regardless of who sits in the White House, regardless of which party holds a majority. It should be about serving our nation and keeping our nation safe. And so uh, this uh, Veterans Day, I'm going to be in New Smyrna Beach, which is where I, I, I live, and uh, doing an event there with the mayor and uh, paying my respects to all those who had served and who were willing to stand shoulder to shoulder with, with ourselves for this nation. Where does your service come from? You know, you, you told me briefly about this incredible upbringing where you had so much adversity with your parents, you know, being unavailable to you. Um, you know, where does that sense of service come from? You know, I, I think it's something that you're truly born with, Janice. I, I don't think you develop 
over time a desire for service. I think it's always kind of rooted somewhere inside you as as the core of what makes you who you are. You know, I I, I think sometimes, and and not to be overly theological, but you know, I think back to like the whole thing of Isaiah six eight, which I've I've rehearsed and and talked about many many times. It really was one man when God said, you know, who shall I send? Who shall go forth? It was one man who stood up and said, here am I, send me. And oftentimes people don't understand that courage is contagious. And I think that when you're born with this desire to serve, when you're born with this desire to try and help others in need, to put things above yourself, I don't think that's something that's taught. I think that's just something that you're inherently born with. Mm -hmm. What about your faith? Where does faith come from? It really comes from my grandparents. You know, I, I, you know, growing up and and obviously in the first nine years of my life, just kind of bouncing house to house and not really having a stable household and uh, and sometimes being watched by girlfriends of my my, you know, mom, who they all were living together in a house and would try and get me to school or get me there. When I finally got to a stable home, when I finally understood this is what family is, my grandparents were big on the idea of every Sunday we went to church. And I came from a, a pretty uh, impoverished family. I mean, my grandfather was a welder by trade. My grandmother was a stay-at-home mom who uh, did hair on the weekends for ladies in the community. And, um, you know, every I can remember every like two weekends, so every other Sunday, uh, we would go to the Golden Corral or this place called Ryan's, which is a buffet. And I think it was like two ninety nine a buffet, right? And 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 that was always something that was I looked forward to after uh, church. And so, you know, my grandparents were just very, very uh, deeply rooted in faith, and and I think that that makes a lot of sense whenever we talk about service to this nation. Because if we truly do swear an oath to our constitution, then we understand that our constitution was founded to protect our inalienable rights. That that jurisdiction, if you will, from God to man was the whole intent, and it was based on our Judeo Christian beliefs and. That doesn't mean that we don't acknowledge pluralism and accept faiths and and the rights to to worship as you'd like, but it does mean that it's something that you're willing to die for based on the rights that you believe is provided by God and that should not be prevented by man. Uh, And so I think that's really where it all started was my grandparents. Our faith is being tested right now with this war. Um, How did you get those Americans out? Of Israel, I mean, and and not just, you know, a few of them. Um, you have gotten, you know, let's see, close to two hundred people out of Israel in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, so you know, again, it's all about just being blessed with the right capacity, capabilities. You know, I've I've spent almost twenty years of my life uh, in the Middle East just because of that was the war at the time, and I speak Arabic. And so I had developed and cultivated relationships over time and also just had this kind of mentality of an adapt and overcome, get on the ground, figure it out and make things happen type of of mentality. And, you know, the first day, and it doesn't always go to plan. First day when I I saw that this was happening, you know, backing up a moment and and reflecting on the fact that, you know, this is the second time I've had to do this during the Biden administration. First time was in 2021 when I went to Afghanistan and our team conducted the very first successful overland rescue of Americans out of Afghanistan that was left behind, a mother and three children who were born and raised in Amarillo, Texas. And so I knew, just based on the fact of me being in Congress, sitting on the Armed Services Committee, 
and having to deal with Lloyd Austin and sitting on the Foreign Affairs Committee and dealing with Secretary Blinken, that this administration hadn't changed the way that they handle things. There was no plan, no strategy, no prioritization of American lives' safety. And so when I saw what was happening with the turmoil and the chaos and the, the horrendous acts, the, bar, the barbarism of Hamas who were going in and absolutely just murdering uh, Israel, uh, uh, Israelis in, in, in the Gaza area, I just knew that I needed to do something. I knew I needed to stand up. And, and so I took action and flew in. And the first day that I was able to get in, you'd laugh, but like nothing went to plan. You know, originally it was like I, I had planned for my team to meet me at the Sheikh Hussein Bridge. They went to a different King Hussein Bridge, which is like an hour plus difference in driving. And, you know, there I am by myself because my two other teammates that were supposed to fly in hadn't arrived yet. And they weren't going to arrive till mid afternoon. And I had a decision to make to either go in alone by myself and try and conduct the first uh, rescue or evac or try and put it off till tomorrow. And I just thought to myself, you know, these people that are trapped there don't deserve to be told, well, sorry, it didn't work out today. They've already heard that. They've already lost confidence in their government's, you know, uh, uh, willingness to want to come get them. And I remember I, I had made the decision, you know what, I'm going to go and I'm going to figure this out. And I told my guys, I said, listen, you're not going to be able to get to me in time, but meet me at our first evacuation consolidation point. We'd put this plan together and uh, while I was in the air and, and kind of walked through it. And so I literally walked across the bridge, went to a gas station and found a taxi cab and just told the taxi who spoke a decent amount of Arabic and, and I spoke a, 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 enough English for him for us to be able to communicate. And I said, first location I have to go to is to Tiberias. And, and my team luckily met me there. But I mean, we had the first day Tiberias and Nazareth and Haifa uh, we got 32 Americans out that day through ground evacuations. The next day with a full team, we went to the West Bank and we went to Jerusalem and we got out another 45 people out that day. And we continued to run ground operations as we coordinated uh, charter flights and working with great groups like uh, Glenn Beck and Mercury One to, to get the funding to where we could secure uh, 787s or whatever size aircraft we could and then put consolidation lists that we had worked with Rabbi Weiss and, and all the other members of Congress. And, and we reached out and would email them, hey, send us your constituents who are still trapped. And um, you just kind of get on there and you figure it out. I mean, at the end of the day, you have Murphy's Law, you know, and it's, it's, it's always going to kick in when you don't want it. But there's people's lives at stake. And the only way you fail is when you stop trying. And so my whole thing was, is that we got 159 people out just last week. We got 96 people out through ground evacuations to include Congressman Bill Huizinga's son, uh, Adrian. And so, you know, we're well over 200 plus almost, you know, working towards 300 people that we've gotten out so far. And uh, I'm going to continue to fight and continue to try and organize and work with others until the very last American who needs and wants to get out is able. Don't go anywhere. We'll have more of the Janice Dean podcast right after this. Listen to the all new Brett Bear podcast featuring common ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Have you heard from the Biden administration for your efforts? I've heard nothing, uh, which is not uncommon. I didn't hear anything since 2021, so I'm not going to hold my breath right now. He's probably thinking more about how to save his political future than he is saving saving the lives of others. And tell me about how you helped uh, get people out of Afghanistan. You know, that was really a, a more difficult operation when you don't have a uh, 
even a partner government that's willing to work with you. You know, at that point in time, we had a complete uh, fall apart. It was it was Taliban, Haqqani, ISIS, Khorasan. Uh, no one in the region was willing to try and work with us because of the Russia-China uh, alignment that had gone on and knowing that China has aligned themselves to Iran and North Korea. And, you know, I was a geopolitical analyst for a long time. So I'd published about 43 different articles on on the various nuances and not to mention, you know, all the time that I'd spent overseas and then I was a SecDef advisor at the Pentagon. And, you know, I'd spent quite a few years in, in Afghanistan. So I had safe havens that were established uh, from a company that I had set up years prior and um, was able to try and utilize that. But, you know, when we first came in there, we had a, an American aircraft, what they call a November tail aircraft with approved landing permits and PPRs. And we had 28 Americans that we were there to save. And this is on the, the, the now known day of, of August 26, where we lost 13 brave heroes. And the administration would refuse to allow us to land when they figured out that we were there to get Americans. And now this is American aircraft with American special operations you know, veterans there to rescue Americans. And the Biden administration was trying everything they could to not only deny us, but they even they scrambled an F-16 to do a flyover to threaten us. And we had to go to another uh, country because we were low on fuel, had to figure out and split the team where myself and one other person went down to the border for two days on the Afghanistan border and started walking to find permissible crossing environments, uh, trying to work with local governments. And, you know, it took us a while to try and get in, but after 11 days of continual efforts, you know, even trying to work with the State Department, trying to work with Task Force Afghanistan, which is a State Department entity that or department that, or agency that had been created just for this purpose, we got nowhere. I mean, even we were trying to get Americans out through uh, the main terminal there, and all they had to do was just say their name over the loudspeaker, and the Taliban was going to allow them through, and they wouldn't even do that. You had you had blue passport holders waving and screaming at the gates. And the soldiers in the State Department wouldn't allow them to come through. And it's all because they were being ordered not to. And so uh, after 11 days, after multiple attempts, after many countries, uh, we were able to move Miriam and her family from Kabul because she was now at risk. And they were actually – the Taliban was searching for her uh, in her parents' neighborhood. And uh, we were able to move her 13 hours to Mzara Sharif. We had her section and, and, and manifested on another aircraft that was, again, uh, being organized by Glenn Beck that – the Taliban had approved, the DOD and State Department had approved, and as we were loading these Americans, 100-plus Americans, uh, the State Department called the airport and said, we need to, to re, uh, re-look at the manifest to verify it. And at that point, they grounded the flight, and the Taliban got frustrated and wouldn't let the flight take off after that. And so that's when we eventually said, okay, flights aren't going to happen. And we coordinated and worked around and uh, was able to try and move by ground uh, over to the one of the, the border uh, countries that we were crossing into and were successfully able to get her into Tajikistan and uh, get her safely home. And we still have people over there. We still have not just uh, uh, certain Americans, that, but but our SIVs, you know, the people who fought yes. alongside us for 20 plus years, the people who we made promises to that we yes. abandoned who are being methodically hunted and killed. You know, that's not the America that I know. The America I know is that when we make promises to allies or we make promises to those that we keep those promises. You know, we told those people who had fought beside us who in some cases 
they had family members who had been killed as a result of working with us, but yet that didn't actually prevent them from continuing to fight beside us and help us and support us. And in many cases, save American lives. And yet we just abandoned them. You know, the 20 plus years, the trillions of dollars, the thousands of lives, you know, I'm, I'm not for endless wars. I'm actually not an interventionist at all. And I believe that our, our way of dealing with foreign policy has been flawed and failed for a very long time. And, but it's one of those things that if you're going to go in and you're going to disrupt a nation, if you're going to go in and you're going to do like we did in Iraq, where there's millions of, of Iraqi uh, civilians who were, who, were, who were killed, who were innocent, and put in the 2005 Iraq constitution that creates sectarianism that gave rise to the Iranian proxies and the Iranian government, if you're going to go in and you're not going to contribute in a positive way, or you're not going to go in and do what we said we were doing in Afghanistan, which is to stop it from being a safe haven of terrorism, then why are you going in at all when you don't have a planned strategy? This isn't political football where every president can come in and make their little change to put their name on something. These are lives. These are whether it's American lives or not. These are these are people's lives that you are putting in jeopardy. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, you know, it's just one of those things that we have to start under uh, having a better understanding in our government on how we deal with these types of conflict, post-conflict nations, how we get involved in certain areas, why UN and NATO doesn't play their role any longer that they were originally created and designed for. And if they're not, then why are we continuing to fund these types of organizations? We have to start taking a really long look at our foreign politics and foreign policies to make sure that what we're doing is the right thing and that we're not abandoning people. We're not losing and tarnishing our name on the world stage. Uh, we're not abandoning those who had fought alongside us, but we're also looking at not destabilizing nations uh, the way that we have. But at the end of the day, you know, the message that I always tell every soldier, every airman, every Marine, you know, anyone who's fought in our armed services has to understand that what's the failures in Afghanistan and the failures in Iraq are not on the boots. It's on the suits. Hmm. It's why I ran so that we could actually stop, you know, what's going on because our, our suicide rates increased massively after Afghanistan because people thought, what did I die? What did I fight for? What did my buddy, what did my brother die for? But I want everyone to always know that the failures in our foreign policy, the failures of government is not a failure on the soldiers and those who are in armed forces who are fighting to achieve a mission and objective. And, we have to do more. I mean, that's just the honest truth, Janice. But uh, in a very convoluted way, yeah, there's still people left behind that, that we need to be working uh, to try and get out and to try and get safety because we made promises and we need to keep those. Mm -hmm. And the news is obviously focused on Israel and the war that they are up against. What do you think is going to happen? I mean, I know every day changes. Um, it seems hopeless in a way. Uh, and I see the division that is going on with people. Um, and it, it's so discouraging. This will not end up being just in Israel and fighting Hamas, which is a terrorist uh, Iranian proxy militia. That is not the war this is going to be. We will see a full destabilization of the Middle East in its entirety. You will see where the China, Russia, Iran, North Korea geopolitical alignment becomes more and more evident. And you will watch where Syrian fighters and uh, those who have been trained by the Quds Force in Iraq will come to the Golan Heights and other areas. You will see where the Iranian backed and aligned uh, 
Hezbollah, who is headed up by Hassan Nasrallah, will look to cross through Lebanon. You will look to see where other Middle Eastern nations will try to rise up as well against this. And that's really what China, Russia, Iran, North Korea was hoping for. They want to see a destabilization because that relationship that was almost completed with the kingdom of Saudi Arabia and Israel normalizing its relationships would have led to a complete demise in the terroristic behaviors, activities, and the destabilization that Iran, the largest state sponsor of terror, has ever wanted. And when we saw what President Trump had done, which was historic, it was monumental on the Abram Accords. I mean, this is something that had only been done in 1979 in Egypt and 1994 in Jordan. And he was getting the Gulf nations to come into this. He was getting the Middle East to normalize relationships with Israel to try and find peace in the Middle East. You didn't see the turmoil that you see now under the Trump administration. But this war is going to continue to spiral. This is everyone needs to understand that the idea of looking at warfare or conflict in a singular way can no longer be done. You have to start looking at the analytical links. You have to start looking at the ge geopolitical alignments. You have to start looking at the broader picture of what China wants to achieve with their Belt and Road Initiative, which is uh, a Eurasian expansion, a domination of the African continent and taking over the uh, Oceania so they can c cut off the Western Hemisphere supply chain by the Horn of Africa, the Mediterranean, Red Sea, Black Sea, Persian Gulf, and then their marriage of convenience with Russia where they're utilizing economic coercion for Panama and Honduras to control the canal that allows for trade. They're utilizing the Chavez in Venezuela. They're utilizing Pedro in Colombia. They're building a, they've already built a 400 football wide, wide satellite in Venezuela. They are building military and spy training installations in Cuba, 92 miles off my own coast there in Florida. These are all intertwined. And we have to understand that, whether it's Ukraine, and I was there in 2015, you know, helping to work with the first sniper battalions out of the Nipah battalions and, and helping with uh, trying to get people to understand how to defend their own homes or the, what is now the terrain defense. But looking at Taiwan, looking at all of these different things, it is an attempt to eliminate the U.S. as having uh, the U.S. dollar as a global, hege uh, a global currency. It is an attempt to try and create their own independent hegemony even utilizing corruption for WHO, WEF, the uh, OPEC that they want to replace the petrodollar to the petro yen or the petro ruble. These are all interlinked. And it's understanding all of those key pieces because this is chess, not checkers. And so the fight that is, that is ensuing right now uh, between Hamas and Israel, that's not going to be the, the end-all, be-all. And I think that it's going to be a multi-prong attack, and I think that the alliances will be tested. Uh, our adversaries will become more more obvious and more in the open and overt. And, and we have to be prepared for that with a president who understands that our domestic and our foreign policies that are intrinsically linked needs to be well understood, well thought, and well, well planned. And so the way that we do that and the way that we stay strong to be able to stand strong is that we have to focus on America. We have to focus on our energy security, our border. We have to get our country's economic structure strong again. Because if not, there's going to come a time where our $33.6 trillion in debt, which will be the end of America if we continue on this pathway, or our open borders with millions upon millions who continue to pour through there, of which many of them on terrorist watch lists, this will be our demise because when the call comes, 
for our allies and they need our help, we're going to be in a position one day where we can't answer that call any longer if we don't start taking care and prioritizing America while recognizing all of the geopolitical alignments and links abroad. When do you think that call is going to happen? I think we're already seeing the beginning of those calls. Mm-hmm. You're seeing, you know, I, I just did an Indo-PACOM tour where I talked with President Tsai in Taiwan and I talked to uh, Admiral Aquilino of the 7th Fleet in Hawaii and we went out to Guam and we went out to Japan and, and to Okinawa and all these different areas and you see what's happening there. And, you know, I was in Ukraine watching the destabilization there and watching Russia's moves. I watched China and how they've been puppeteering, you know, being the marionette uh, of many of these nations and utilizing their uh, economics to try and do so or the raw earth minerals that they control. You know, they control 15 of 16 raw earth, raw earth mineral mines uh, throughout rare earth mineral mines throughout the world. And and so all of these things have continued. The, the difference is that weakness invites aggression. Hmm. And I use this kind of uh, cliche, you know, kind of uh, thing all the time, but, it, but it's, it's true. Weakness invites aggression. We've never seen the China, Russia, Iran, North Korea alignment move so quickly towards their objective than they have under the Biden administration. It's been existing and we've been blind to it for, for decades now. You know, their goal has always been to take over, uh, you know, the Belt and Road Initiative to look at a China one unification to try and draw a hegemony. I mean, it's what Chairman Xi has always been wanting was to rebuild the name that his family had lost. You know, his father was a well-known general under General Mao, and he was cast aside to kind of starve out into, in, in the villages because that was a big embarrassment. And so, you know, Chairman Xi wants to rebuild the name of his family because honor means so much to him. And, you know, what a son will do to rebuild the name of their father has no ends. I mean, we see it where he was elected for the third time as the head of CCP. Not even Chairman Mao had done that. He had violated the one country, two system framework of Hong Kong to look at a further unification. He had nearly drained down all of China's resources and economics trying to achieve the Belt and Road Initiative to cut off supply chain and drown the U.S. dollar globally to give a lack of confidence in developing nations that our dollar will be worth anything, which you're already seeing. Mm -hmm. And so we're already in those phases, and it's just being exacerbated because we have an administration who has no answer to what is going on globally, and they don't really care. Well, we have an election next year where – People have to make the decision, are you going to go for the same or are you going to try to do something different? I mean, are you an optimistic person? I mean, the stuff that we are talking about is so heavy and uh, you're obviously very well versed in world history and the nuances between all of these different um, you know, populations, different leaders, different countries and what they want out of this. Um, you know, where does your optimism come from? You know, America has in our very short history and we are, we're, we're a blink in the eye of many of the other nations who've existed for thousands of years. And, but we've always been able to come out of the darkness and shine even brighter. You know, we're referred to a lot of times as the shining beacon of hope. And I think that that's true. I think that the difference in, in past issues that we have faced is that we as Americans had always faced them together. And right now we're very divided and we're allowing generational and cultural warfare 
and religious faith warfare to exist here in America. We're tearing each other apart. We're weakening ourselves for our adversaries. We're doing the work of the devil on their behalf. Mm-hmm. And I think that you can contribute that to TikTok and uh, social media and, and other things that has been able to poison the youth and even the the academics that has been taken over to push critical race theory and DEI and our military and ESG and our corporations and you know we've we've continued to try and weaken ourselves and I, I always try to just I, I'll sometimes tell my grandfather you know as, as I talk to him and I call him Papa and I said Papa I said you know here's what's going on and I'll tell him all these things and I'll kind of dump out my issues and vent to him and he always keeps me very grounded and he said son don't forget. That in the end of days, what is right will be wrong, and what is wrong will be right. But so long as we always stay true to ourselves and our faith, then we're going to come out victorious in the end. Hmm. And I just think that right now, we as a nation need to understand that we are not our own enemies. You know, whether you have a certain political affiliation, whether you believe in a certain thing, that doesn't make us enemies. Look for commonality before we start looking for what divides and separates us because our enemies are broad. They're willing to do anything they can to destroy us. Let's not destroy ourselves. Let's stand strong. You know, it's the old saying, united we stand and divided we fall. And so I think that in order for us to truly come together and and, and to think about, you know, moving forward, we, we have to stop viewing other Americans as our enemies and start coming together. And I think that we need that healing, that reconciliation, that unification, and we definitely need change. You know, we, we know that we need a president who is walking 10 foot tall and carrying a big stick. America's military is still the greatest military in the world. And so what we have to look at in this next and upcoming election is how was our lives before and how's our lives now? It's almost the Reagan question, mm-hmm. right? Are you better off now than you were four years ago? And I can tell you that four years ago, people had more money in their pocket. Four years ago, we weren't looking at two different wars on two different fronts with the threat of Taiwan being a third. Four years ago, we weren't evacuating, committing more NEOs to get ambassadors and mission essential people out of our embassies than we have during this administration. Four years ago, we didn't see the amount of fentanyl and drug and human and child sex trafficking and the flourishment of our drug cartels down in Mexico and South America, the mainstream, you know, Main Street uh, uh, Chinese who are printing fentanyl down in the Darien Gap. We, we didn't see the oil prices at what they are right now for our gas or housing affordability and availability being at its all time short. We didn't see our interest rates at 8.2 plus percent. We saw it at 2 plus percent. So when I look back, we can talk mean tweets. We can talk about how someone is a great orator or they, they speak more presidential. Or, uh, But the reality is, is that where are you respected on the world stage and where were we economically, where were we diplomatically, where were we militarily four years ago as opposed to where we are today? And I think that we have to get past all of the other items and just start looking at the facts of where we were and where we are. Mm-hmm. Don't go anywhere. We'll have more of the Janice Dean podcast right after this. And what's it like being a congressman after, you know, serving? Uh, I think we need more of you out there, uh, you know, as lawmakers and people in Washington, D.C., instead of these sort of people that have been born on third base uh, and and get in because their dad maybe <laughs> knew somebody or did the same right. kind of work. 
Yeah, I mean, look, it's 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 very trying at times because you know whether it was from the military or whether it was from being a, a business owner or being an executive chair of other businesses that I've I've grown, you're you're outcome based, and our government is is built in such a way, and it's it's a brilliance of our, our founding fathers, but it's it's built in a way so that we can't make uh, rapid changes. Um, it, it's meant to go through a very cumbersome process. And I think that's difficult for a lot of us who are in the military, who are looking to mission achievement and, and, and focusing on the objectives and getting things done. But also I think it's a good thing because, you know, for, for far too long, every single lawmaker that comes in, every single politician who is elected, they come in to try and get their name on something. They come in mm-hmm. to try and write and author a bill. They come in to try and put in new legislation. When in fact, one of the biggest reasons that we have the problems we have isn't because there's a lack of legislation. We have a lack of enforcement of existing legislation. Hmm. We have a lack of understanding that something that you wrote and that worked 20 years ago may not work today. So necessary reforms are going to have to take place. And that doesn't mean that you had a bad bill. That doesn't mean that you were flawed in your in your thinking back then, which is the way that they take it. They take it personally as if, oh, we can't repeal that law because – I wrote that law. Well, you know what? At the time, it was necessary, and now it's not. You know, it's like the the AUMF. You know, from 1957 and uh, 91 and 01 and 02 that still exists that we no longer serves its original intended purposes. We have to start looking at things and saying, "Hey, you know what? Let's enforce the laws on the books. Let's start looking at a limited government that allows us to start serving the people, not being weaponized against the people." And let's stop trying to just put our name on bills that may not be necessary. Let's go back and open up and start reforming some of the legislation that's on the books to where it serves its purposes today the same way that it did when it was originally created. Or in some cases, if it no longer serves its purpose, repeal it in its entirety. I think when we do this, when we start stripping away all of the uh, non-essential things, we start returning more power to the American people. We start returning more power under our 10th Amendment to our state and individual rights. And I think that we start looking at a, a limitation in the growth of government, which we've seen explode since 1913 and the 17th Amendment. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but our, our U.S. senators uh, used to be elected by our state legislators, not by the American people. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that was to ensure that the federal government didn't have overreach and violate the 10th Amendment, which is our state and individual rights. And some very crafty uh, kind of slithered-tongued individual convinced the American people that why would you allow politicians to elect politicians? But what you saw was that when the passing of the popular vote in the 17th Amendment happened, there was like this hockey stick-like trajectory of growth in the federal government, which if you look right now is one of the reasons that we're driving ourselves into an economic oblivion, overspending by government, unchecked, unfettered, che- you know, uh, checkbooks that are just being written on the taxpayer's back. And so I think that having military guys who come in and evaluate and look at things the way you do a battlefield scenario or a battlefield review allows us to see the flaws and say, we need to enforce the good laws, reform those that are needing reformed, repeal those who are no longer needed, limiting government's reach into American lives and violating state state rights. And let's start getting an economic growth strategy in place because all we hear from the federal government is we're going to cut this, we're going to cut that. Well, guess what? You can't cut your way to prosperity. You can only grow. And any business owner will know this. You can't cut your way to profitability once you get to a certain size. You have to get more revenue. 
And this is a simple thing. We have to get our GDP to exceed our national debt ratio. That's inverted right now. And the only way you do that is through a good economic growth strategy. Things like H.R. 1, the Low Cost Energy Act, getting us back to energy dominance, securing our border, reforming certain mandatory spendings. And so I think that as a military guy, we're able to look at these things uh, more objectively and just look at it on the purpose of what are we trying to achieve and then look at getting that done. How are you able to unplug and, you know, sort of focus on your son and what's the what's the perfect day for you? I, I think that's the thing that I struggle with the most. And, and I think it's always been a struggle for me to try and get that work-life balance. I think I get so into the weeds and I, 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 I oftentimes, you know, can't even shut my mind off at night and, um, and so there's 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 just kind of these small things that I do that uh, give me satisfaction, you know, just going out and playing soccer with my son. You know, he's he's eight years old and we'll do this or or him and I are very much into all the Marvel movies. And so we've seen every Marvel movie about a million times, but we'll go back and we'll watch all the Iron Mans and then we'll watch, you know, all of the Captain Americas and then we'll watch all of the Avengers and then we'll watch Black Panther and we'll watch, you know, Black Widow and all these others. And I. We just kind of sit there and we'll make coffee, uh, popcorn and, you know, I'll have coffee and just kind of uh, sit on the couch together. And, you know, just just having that that time with family, because sometimes the way that I'm able to refocus, sometimes the way that I'm able to recenter and to, to really start driving forward is to remember once again the reason why I'm doing all this. Mm. And the reason why I'm doing it is because I want my son to have a better future. I want everyone's children to have a better future and think about the new generations ahead. And so – my future grandchildren and others, I want them to have more opportunity. I want them to have more safety. I want them to have uh, what was more of what I had growing up as a child where you could ride your bike around the, the, the you know neighborhood and not have the fears that we have today. So you know me decompressing and refocusing and recentering on the job that I have at hand is all kind of uh, hand in glove with one another. But I do struggle a lot with you know, there is so much going on right now. There is so many issues that we're facing both here at home and abroad uh, that it's difficult to turn off. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm working on that and trying to get better at it. But I also feel that, you know, for every moment that I'm not thinking about what movements our adversaries are making is one more day or one more moment that they're able to move closer to achieving their goal. You know, it's the old saying, Evil succeeds or evil uh, achieves its goal whenever good men fail to act. Hmm. And that was my whole goal to begin with is to be a statesman, which is a person of action, not a politician who's a person who talks. Hmm. And so my son and, and my grandfather and uh, family and friends certainly helped to uh, just being able to be around them really, really grounds me, really, really centers me uh, and enables me to, to remember again and to stay focused on the reason why I'm here and the reason I'm doing this. Well, Congressman, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And, you know, I met you in the green room a couple of weeks ago and you were just so kind. Uh, you know, you can I'm a pretty good judge of character and and, you know, you you speak well on television and and you do great at your job. But I also see you as a really good human. And so I I, so I appreciate your time today and I thank you for your service. Thank you so much. And again, I, I've followed you for a while and I can remember uh, the situation uh, that you faced with your family under Andrew Cuomo. And I could see 
how much that impacted you and, and why you fight so hard. And it's really no different for any American. We grab onto something that's uh, is important an issue because it's impacted us personally in such a way. And, and that's why I'm here. Mm-hmm. You know, I just want to continue to fight and help others. And I appreciate yourself and all those at Fox and all those that are willing to give me a platform to be able to, to speak to the American people, to educate our constituency and to really get a better understanding of the issues that we face so we can all come together and fight them together. Well, good job, my friend. And uh, to be continued, let's be in touch. Thank you for (laughs) all your good work. Uh, And it gives me hope. How about that? Well, that's all that matters. And with (laughs) hope, we can continue to try and fight another day. That's it. Thanks again to Congressman Mills for coming in today for an eye-opening conversation about what's happening right now in the world affecting all of us here in the U.S. and other countries abroad. I'm grateful to him and all of our servicemen and women who dedicate their lives to protecting Americans and for standing up and helping others without hesitation. Thank you to all of my listeners. If you have someone you think should make the Dean's List, let me know at Janice Dean on Twitter or Janice Dean FNC on Instagram. Or you can rate this podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or at foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.